Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode one of the In The Know Property Podcast with Henderson Advocacy. I am uh, I'm Jack Henderson, the founder of Henderson Advocacy, and I'm joined by my head of investment, Frank Raiti. And I, uh, I confirmed the pronunciation of that <laughs> word before we started. Um, he's our head of investment, uh, got a very, very interesting backstory. And I think the where we'll start with this first episode is is probably talking less about property and less about investing and really more about ourselves and, and, and you know where we started, where we are right now. So people can have context um, you know, as we as we move further and further in, into more and more episodes on we essentially are practicing what we preach. Um, so Frank, mate, I think a really good place to start will be, um, mate, just to, to give some, some people some backstory. You know, if people don't know who you are, you've, uh, you're a familiar face in a few uh, publications, the CEO magazine, your, your investment property magazine, and mate, you've got quite a substantial portfolio and you've also got quite a, an interesting backstory that sort of led us to now be both in Henderson Advocacy together. So mate, I, I guess to kick off, where, uh, where did Mr. Frank Ratey start and, and how, did, how did we become to sit here today? Well, thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me and for uh, uh, welcoming me to this uh, podcast. So, yes, um, I basically, my, my career has uh, spanned in, in accounting and finance. That's my background. I'm, I'm a, you know, a certified practicing accountant with a Bachelor of Commerce majoring in accounting. So my career has always been um, in accounting and had that finance focus. You're a numbers um, man. Yes, basically a numbers man, very analytical and detail focused. Um, so I started back in insurance, basically out of school. Uh, didn't get the grades or the, the grading required to go to uni straight off the bat. So my mate, best mate and I, we trotted down to Ultimo TAFE and enrolled in uh, the advanced diploma in accounting course. And then later on, I obviously went to uni and got my CPA. But in the meantime, started off in, invest, um, in insurance. Um, and that was my first job, earning $17,000. Just thought I'll start at the bottom and work my way up. Work hard, my parents said, and, and you'll go far. And what's your background, just so people know, as in like your, your, your nationality? So yeah, so my dad is Italian and my mum is Maltese. So, so cash is king <laughs> in the Italian families. So they basically came out to Australia when they were oh, around 10 or 11 years old. So sure. they're, they're basically Australian and my sisters and I were born here. So, um, but yes, we do have that uh, ethnic background and upbringing as, as you mentioned. So, uh, so first job in insurance, you know, and you know, my dad's like, so what are you doing with all this money? And I'm, I said, what money? I'm earning $17,000 <laughs> a year, you know, at the time in the early nineties. And he said, have you thought about buying a property? You know, and that's when I said, well, with what? So my dad worked, luckily worked in the bank at the time. Yeah. So he, I said, well, if, if I can afford it, well, it was actually about six weeks later. He just left it with me, you know, planted the seed and left it with me. And about six weeks later, I, I came to him and I basically said, so are we buying this property or what? And he said, oh, you want to buy it, do you? And I said, yeah, okay. So he, he did the sums and he worked out what I could afford, you know, that servicing would be done by obviously my, my little income and obviously with the rental income. So I'd, I'd go off and play soccer and my parents went out and looked for the for the property. I and whereabouts, really... whereabouts were you living at this time? Like, so living you... at home, obviously, yeah. um, in where? Strathfield, in Strathfield, Strathfield in yeah. the inner west there. Um, so I really wasn't that keen, I suppose, or that, that interested. I was I was keen, but not, not interested enough to give up soccer and go looking for a property. So they'd go off uh, looking for the property and I'd go off and play soccer. And then one day after the game, they came and they said, oh, we've, we've found this little two bedroom unit in Croydon Park. 
And um, they described it, and I said, okay, we'll go have a look at it. So long story short, I, I go to the next inspection, have a look at it, and it's basically a former motel, the one where you driveway down the left-hand side, building down the right, two levels with the balconies that go down the side. Anyway, so I think they were asking about $80,000, $82,500. On a $17,000 income, what does that work out to be? About five times your income. Mm, yes. Yeah. And we're talking early 90s, so I can't honestly remember off the top of my head what the interest rate was but it was pr- probably close to double digits if not double digits wow. um, but I don't ever remember struggling my dad said I could afford it I afforded it I always had tenants I think from memory the tenants were paying about 70 to 75 bucks a week so very different figures you know to, to nearly 30 years later what we're the, dealing with but back then just just you know I think the majority of our listeners are going to be quite young 75 bucks a week and when we're talking about 80 grand it was still relative Right. It was a good yield, yeah. It was a relative yield. But in terms of cost as well, like 80 grand, you didn't look at it back then like you'd look at 80 grand now. Like no. 80 grand was a lot of money back then, of right? Of course, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so and so I walked into this uh, small apartment and, you know, it was small, had the kitchen, and it was a two-bedder, two, living, living, combined living, dining. I can still picture it in my head. Kitchen, uh, two bedrooms and a bathroom in between. No laundry. The laundry was out the back, short, shared laundry, of which, you know, you had to put... 20 cent coins in the in the yeah. thing to work. Anyway, I basically looked at it and said, okay, it's it was relatively close to Strathfield. Strathfield has and always will be a good suburb. I said, okay, it's in Croydon Park. It's it's close to Strathfield. Uh, one day that'll get that bit of ripple effect as, as we get in property. And I just basically thought to myself, could I live in this? Oh, I never was going to, but I just thought, put myself in someone else's shoes. Can I live in this? And I thought, yeah, it's neat, tidy, nice block, not too many units. I can live in this. Yeah. So... Long story short, we bought it. Um, and that was the start of the journey, I suppose. Um, so you were 18 at that stage? 19, 19, I'm pretty sure. So 19, yeah. So from that then, um, I remember seeing an ad in the Sydney Morning Herald of all things. You know, this is pre, well, the internet's probably just kicking off, but uh, not in relation to, obviously, real estate and domain, etc. Yeah. And I saw an ad in the Sydney Morning Herald for a little studio apartment in Ashfield. Again, in a west um, so I went and had a look at that. My dad and I went and had a look at that. And this one was interesting. Again, it was similar. The driveway was down the right-hand side of this one, an, an ex-motel. But what they'd done with the ground floor studios is they had, with those brush box, uh, brushwood fences, created a little courtyard out the, out, the each, out the front of each of them, which I thought was really good because studio apartments are not big, as we all know. And I thought, you know, you just can't be stuck in this room all day. Put a table and chairs out there, you've got your own little private space, which was good. So... Um, I bought that one. From memory, I think that was about one hundred and ten thousand, and I can't remember that. It might have been a year or two later. Okay, so it wasn't it wasn't very far away. It was that's right. We were all quite close together. Okay. Yeah. And, and then in terms of your career progression, were you still working at the insurance company? I was. I worked or? for the insurance company for a good seven and a half years. Wow. Okay. Um, before there, I felt it was time to leave, and actually, that's when I actually went to uni full time. I just. Uh, thought you know if I go to uni now I can save myself a couple of years of study um, because I had the exemption from the TAFE diploma go and do my degree I I basically knocked it off in eight in 18 months because I I went to summer school even and did it full-time and then went on to do my CPA and then got into other jobs so from there I I worked in an IT company a small Australian IT company I worked for a US based professional services firm they were basically an outsourced call center yeah. for some of the you know large uh, banks um or, or your typical you know those people ring you up with call center services and i was the finance and admin manager there like henderson advocacy just call you up huh that's it <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and from there, um, yeah, uh, a small stint with Impulse Airlines, uh, about six months there, which they've eventually got taken over by Qantas and, and rebranded as Qantas Link. Uh, and finally, then I ended up at the West Tigers. Um, I have a great passion for sport and especially rugby league. And, you know, I didn't even think the role of financial controller for a rugby league team even existed. Um, so joined the West Tigers and, and based out of Concord Oval. And that was great. Uh, worked for five years there um, and even got involved in it was a, it was a really great role because it got me involved in the match day operations side as well on the in regards to off field operations. So I looked after the police, the ambulance, the ticketing staff, the event staff um, basically first one to open the gates and nearly the last one to close the gates apart from the groundsman um, so that was really interesting times and then uh, from there I moved into the registered club industry and that's probably where I've been for the last 10 years of my career um, as CFO for Penrith RSL club and then moved on to a larger club in regards to the uh, Blacktown Workers Club group where I was where I stayed for just under five years, um, initially as CFO and then uh, well, primarily as CFO and then in the last 15 or so months as CEO. Before uh, COVID hit and then, uh, you know, like I think a lot of people did, um, reassess their lives where, where you know my wife and I were at what I wanted to do um, by this stage I've now you know my wife and I have now grown a substantial property portfolio uh, we're now you know including our principal place of residence have nine um, nine invest nine properties so eight investments and, and one owner occupied property uh, spanning Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, so primarily uh, I think six of them are in Sydney. Well, I know six of them are in Sydney and then I I thought, well, it's a time to diversify a bit and land tax was uh, starting to hit, which is, which is fine. It's only a small cost when you consider it against the capital gain. Yeah. Uh, so I actually um, engaged a buyer's agent. Uh, uh, actually for my uh, for the Coogee apartment, I engaged a, a buyer's agent and I actually bought it without even going to look at it. That's how time poor I was at the time. Uh, and then purchased two houses in Brisbane, again through a buyer's agent and one in Melbourne through a buyer's agent. So I have some good connections in those states. And now with the latest boom that we're, we're seeing nationally, uh, which is very rare, you know, those, those, you know, we're sitting now on a portfolio of, you know, circa $12 million, which is um, something, you know, I'm very proud of, uh, considering it all started with that little $80,000 property. How many years? Yeah, just like 12 million bucks sounds like a lot of money and it's not a small amount of money, but how many years did it take you to go from the $80,000 one better or two better uh, in Croydon Park to, you know, when a, a portfolio worth in excess of 12 million bucks. Like, what was that journey looking like? Just to give people an understanding that it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. Anyone who No, it that. doesn't happen overnight. And, it, and it's been, what, 28 years. Wow. Um, and it didn't happen consistent consistently. Like, I eventually, back then, I eventually, well, um, sold those two first, sold the uh, Croydon Park and the Asheville property. Uh, to purchase a principal place of residence. Yep. Um, and then from there, you know, a few, you know, life, life throws you a couple of curveballs and you slow down with your property search and you're growing your career, you're focusing on that instead. Um, and then, you know, basically it, it took off again in, in probably in the last 10 to 15 years, yep. um, more so. Um, and it really is that you first two, you know, your first two, three properties are really the hardest. Once you start then get over that hump and you get your fourth, fifth, sixth, it really does snowball effect because as we go through, you know, this is probably my third cycle, property cycle that I'm viewing now. And if we consider a property cycle 10 years, 
Um, and that doesn't mean you know property doubles in 10 years, but what they call a cycle. As you go through each of those cycles, your capital growth, obviously, you know, if you've purchased good property in, in, in good locations, you get that capital growth. And, you know, then, you know, I soon learned because, you know, the, the information we have now wasn't really available back in the 90s as it is now that, you know, you don't have to sell a property to take out the profit. You can obviously refinance and, and borrow the equity up to 80%, if not more, and use that as your deposit for the next one. So basically, your, your third, fourth, fifth property, etc. You're not putting your hand in your pocket. You're utilizing the equity of the properties you already have, mm. and then obviously the the bank will lend you eighty percent of the new property. The servicing, you, you know, you're going to rent them out at hopefully good good rent and good yields. The servicing will pay for that. Obviously, you've got to have the income. good income as well, um, and away you go. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's a thirty year journey to get to to where you are right now, and. In that 30 years, you like you said, you've seen probably three property cycles. You've probably read every single article there is to know about <laughs> property booms and property busts and heard all the, the, the commentators. But yet, sitting here 28 years later or 30 years later from when you initially started, doesn't seem like you've done too bad out of it, right? Like, oh, definitely. You know, all the I remember when we bought the first one. And as I said, I was 19, and I still remember this day. My dad saying to me, "You'll you'll thank me. You'll thank me when you're 40." Mm. <laughs> and I'm now 47. Um, if you haven't worked it out, the 19 plus 28. So I'm now 47, and I, I thank him every single day. <laughs> and, and I'm sure throughout that journey, like we're hearing right now, property bubble, property boom. It's, mm. You know, it's all going to come to an end. How many times do you think you've heard that over the journey? Oh, oh. It, I'd have another million dollars if I had a dollar for every time I heard it. Yeah. Um, it's just one of the, and what I love about property, it's just so resilient. You know, we've just come out of, uh, you know, we've just come out of a, a global pandemic and who, and you know, a year ago, you know, just over a year ago, people are saying it's going to be a 30% property crash mm. nationwide. And we're probably going to end up with a 20 to 30% growth <laughs> boom. Um, nationwide um, it's just so resilient we went through a dot-com boom we've been through GFC GFCs we've been through recessions we've been through you know uh, threats of, of them taking away um, you know or increasing capital gains tax or taking away negative gearing and and you know political elections and it just doesn't happen I mean we all know property doesn't just keep going up up and up forever and it doesn't go up in a nice you know 45 degree angle we have years you know especially in sydney where we have seven years of zero to three percent growth and and obviously in, a, in there maybe a year or two of negative two to negative five percent growth um but then when it booms it booms exactly and 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 you know when you look at property as a holistic thing it's very you can't just look at sydney as a whole because as we know or exactly. sydney melbourne brisbane perth adelaide wherever you are Inside of city, there is so many sub-markets and inside of those sub-markets, there are so many different property types and segments of price that all perform very differently at, at, at very different times. Um, you know, to, to, to give an example, like at, at the moment, we're, we're sitting here in Paddington in the eastern suburbs and inside of the eastern suburbs right now, I reckon there's probably five or six different segments of the marketplace all performing at different different paces. Exactly, you know, you look exactly. at the, the very upper end of the marketplace, you're talking 10 to $15 million plus, and it's doing exceptionally well. Um, you know, you're looking at homes between three and $5 million. Again, they're doing exceptionally well. There's a, there's a huge lack of supply there. You've got apartments between 900 and 1.1, apartments between one and a half and two. You know, there's, and all of them perform differently because they 
um, are driven by different people, a different demographic of person, and 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 um, you know the the thing about property always rising or property always falling you, people look at statistics on a very high level you know Sydney yes. as, as going up by 10 or 15 or 20 percent and the papers and, and the articles and all the rest of it are very was, good at reporting on yeah, that I was about stuff. to say the media love a, a good headline as we know so you know that and they say you know the property market's booming when when the, you know the taxi driver or these days the uber driver's talking about it or you see it on channel nine seven or ten of news course. or you see it on a current affair <laughs> and and that we're seeing all of that now and 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 as soon as the property market and we come off this property market, who knows, in a year's time, two years, three years, four years, whenever it, it does end, and we get one year of negative or one quarter, all we'll need is one quarter of negative growth, and the, the headlines will be back again that the, it's a bust. You exactly. Know, we're going to go down 30%, 20 to 30%. And look, I just can't see it happening. I've, well, you, you haven't sh- seen it happen the last 30 years. I haven't <laughs> seen it happening for the last 30 years, and I've looked at graphs that go back 100 years and it, <laughs> through yeah. world wars and it doesn't happen which so. is all the stuff we're going to talk about as we you know move through the the episodes and episodes of this podcast but i think you know what i really love about your story and what i resonated with and, and why i wanted you to be a part of the business is because you've been there and done it you practice what you preach you know and um i think there's very few people in this industry that essentially sell their service or sell mm. their advice which is what, what essentially the business we're in um that actually have been there and done it and are constantly doing it you know there's there's people who are very good at telling you what to do and they use the analogy that some of the best sporting coaches in the world have have you know never never played the sport or are terrible at the sport but i think with something like property um it's it's very different you need to be in the trenches you need to experience it you need to talk and advise from a place of of uh, experience and 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 you know when you're giving people that advice they can feel whether or not it's real and, and um, I think you're probably one of the very few people in the industry who have actually been there and done it. And you're uh, probably 25 years my senior in terms of your investing journey, but you know we're 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 on that same trajectory of of you know what we're going to talk about it now is our investment philosophy and what we've purchased are very much aligned. Um, you know personally, I'm probably sitting on four and a half to five million worth of property at the moment. Um, and you know my journey's only been from 18 to now 25, so it's only yeah, a seven so year you, journey. You'll end up with 10 by the time you get to my age, Jack. <laughs> you'll have 10 times more yeah, because but, you're, you've got a lot more knowledge than I had at, at your age, and you've got a lot more knowledge um, of research at your, at your fingertips. Exactly, you can, it's a very different, very different climate, different times, economy yeah. in, of course. <laughs> but you know, I think something that we, 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 we I want to touch on now is is you know it's not just about buying properties over a consecutive 30 year period because you could. You know, I could probably show you, thir- you know, let's see, you've got 12 million bucks worth of property and that's just made up of nine properties. You could have bought nine very different properties and it would mm. have been a very different outcome. It's not just about buying property and over time it will go up. It's of about course. making sure you are buying the right property at the right point in time um, for your particular journey. So essentially, you know, from, from, from us getting to know each other a lot better and, and, and the conversations we're having with our clients, you know, our, our investment philosophy or I guess the way we select assets um, is really about its three key fundamentals. You know, like it, it, for, I think for most people, it probably seems too simple, right? Because people well, always want to reinvent the wheel and then yeah, change. And I'm all about keeping it simple. I think a lot of people out there have a preconceived idea that property is is um, you know there must be a hundred pieces to the puzzle, and mm. I only know three pieces. You know, but it, it, it really, if you break it down to the three key fundamentals that you're about to touch on, you know. 
it's all about not overthinking it. For sure. Yeah, not, not trying to reinvent the wheel. Not That's trying it, and, and not reinventing the wheel. You know, yeah. property's been around for a long time. People have been investing for a long time. Why would you want to reinvest the, uh, reinvent the wheel? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. But everyone, you know, is trying to make a quick buck generally. Everyone wants to be get rich overnight. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think with business, it's a little bit different. Business, they say history is not a good indicator of future performance for a business, which is the truth because economies are constantly changing. The world is constantly changing. And, you know, the, the, the lead... The lead runner in a, in, a, in any particular, um, yeah, I guess, sphere in business is not necessarily going to be the lead business the next year, and we've learned that over. Yeah. Great, great example is Kodak, that you know was the market leader for for, for many many years, and, and and obviously fell because it didn't change with mm. the changing times. Where property, I feel, is very different. History is a very good indicator of future performance for property, um, because unless human behavior all of a sudden changes to say, hey, we don't like being close to CBDs, beaches, cafes, everything. <laughs> that's right. Up. I always say Bondo Beach isn't going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And we all want to move <laughs> to Uluru. That's yeah. probably the only time, you know, it's going to change. But I can't really foresee that happening. And, and you know, our, our three fundamentals, I think number one is obviously location selection. So once you've obviously got a really clear understanding of your personal situation and where you're at and how much money you've got to spend and, and, and all of that, actually selecting the property is three things it's location it's property selection or asset selection and then it's going at it with a long-term approach and not necessarily wanting to make 12 million dollars overnight but making 12 million dollars every 28 year investing journey and you're only 47 and you're you know you could be 24 or 25 million dollars by the time you're 65 so you know i only want to briefly touch on those three things but you know for you location selection whether it was on purpose with the first property or not but that location of, say, Croydon Park, Strathfield, you know, if we look at that now, like how would you describe that as a location in terms of, um, you know, from, from an investing standpoint? Yeah, well, look, like I said, you know, Strathfield at the time was a, a key inner west suburb because obviously Strathfield Station is, is a key station. in Inner in west the, of Sydney for people who are not Sydney-based. Yeah, in the, and, uh, you know, so we live two kilometres from, from Strathfield Station You'd, you'd hop on a bus or, or mum and dad would drop you off at the station and you'd be, in, you'd be at Redfern or Central within 15 minutes. Um, likewise, you'd be in Parramatta in 15 minutes. So it was a key, um, it was a key suburb. Um, Croydon Park, why Croydon Park? I suppose it came down to, like most things, um, people's budgets. Um, like I said, at the time, my dad worked in the bank. He worked out I could probably afford that eighty to $90,000 property. Yep. Um, so it was a matter of then buying the best um, in the best suburb possible with that budget. So, and probably being the first one, we, we probably didn't look too far afield. You know, we didn't even think about looking in the eastern suburbs or, or northern suburbs. It was like, well, you know, and like most people do, look around your home, and and that is a, a common mistake that people can make. Yeah. Um, because where you live does you're living there because you like that area it doesn't necessarily mean it it meets the fundamentals of a of a good investment. Yeah. You were just lucky. Location. You were. You, we were in a, a more. Yeah. Well, actually, I didn't touch on. So I held that property for ten years, um, and if you know, if we talk about property doubling every ten years, so eighty to one sixty, I actually sold it for one eighty. And I remember at the time the agent saying, "Wow, you're getting 180 for this. That's that's an unheard of." He was basically saying, "Like that's a record in this block, um, you know, to get 180." But that was, a, you know, and you look at it and go, "Well, 100 grand over 10 years. It's only 10 grand per year, but it was a lot." It's relative to for it, that yeah. time. It was relative, and it was enough to to sell that one and the um, the Ashfield Studio and put a substantial deposit onto the, the next apartment that I bought, um, which was in, um, in Newington, actually, in uh, Sydney Olympic Park, or not in Sydney Olympic Park, but adjacent to it. It's what, they, what was the 
um, Sydney Olympics Village at the time, and then Mervac Lend Lease, uh, who, who developed that suburb, um, built um, a whole suburb there with school shopping centre, etc. So look, it, it, it performed well. And I think the fundamentals around that is because you know, location does 80% of the heavy lifting and, exactly. and you know, for, for, for Strathfield or Concord, you know, we're, we're talking about a suburb that's within a 20-minute drive or 25-minute drive to Sydney CBD. Um, right now, in, in 2021, it's very affluent. You know, you're not buying a home in Strathfield for what, under two million bucks? Yeah, two and a half million dollars? Yeah, two and a half at least, yeah. Um, apartments now are probably, what, high, 800 grand or something for a... Not a lot of apartments in, in the Strathfield area, but Croydon yeah, Park, yeah. But, um, but yeah, at least you'd be... 800 to one and a half to two. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. It's, it, it's a location that has easy accessibility to the CBD. It's a blue chip location. The people who live there generally are people that have high disposable incomes. Um, and there's no more land to build. Like it's a completely built up area. They're not really rezoning any more land there. So the property that is there is the only property that's going to be that's there. Right, so yeah. for people who want to live in these locations because of everything that's close Two and, and the proximity to everything is, is they have to buy an existing property off someone else, which they're going to have to pay a premium for because no one sells for, unless they're in a, you know, a unique circumstance, for a, for a loss, right? right. Like, Not you unless wanna, you have to. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the location is, is, is super important. Um, the next thing is obviously the asset selection and, and making sure you're selecting the correct property for the location you're buying in. So everyone talks about the house versus apartment debate. You know, I think we're pretty much aligned to say that that's not really a debate because you know an apartment in Bondo Beach is okay because eighty percent of the demographic in Bondo Beach live in apartments. But exactly, if you yeah. went to a suburb sixty k from Sydney CBD and you bought an apartment, I'd probably say not the smartest investment because yeah. the majority of the people in that area live in houses. We're well, just like Stratford. It was very family orientated. Um, I would say ninety when I was living there growing up, ninety percent, if not more, of the properties there were um, were houses. So you, you, you really didn't go to Strathfield to, to live in a unit. Now there's a few more popping up with uh, around the station with rezoning, et cetera. Yeah. But back then it was primarily houses. Um, and we're talking, you know, in the heart of Strathfield, um, big houses with tennis courts and pools on a thousand, two thousand square meters yeah. in what they call the golden mile. That's not where I grew up, by the way. <laughs> we were on the outskirts of Strathfield towards Strathfield South. But yeah, in the heart of Strathfield, those, those properties now are, are, are anywhere between five and $10 million, depending on which street you're in, yeah. um, which is another important thing that we always talk about. It's, it's, and the different property markets, it's not even about the suburbs. Sometimes it's about the neighborhood or a cluster of three or four streets, as we call it, and, Absolutely. and being the right house on that street. Absolutely, and make a huge difference in, in how that property performs in the long run. And Frank, I think that, you know, that really leads on to our third fundamental, and, and that is having a long-term perspective Definitely. when it comes to property investing or, or, or like most things in life, right? Um, buying a property for the next one, two, three years is, is probably not the smartest thing to do, right? Because of all the entry cost of property, all the exit cost of property and, and the amount of money you'd have to make to actually make that feasible if you're going to exit in the, you know, the first three to five years. When we're looking at, at, at asset selection and when we're looking at locations, we're looking at them from a long-term perspective moving into the future, but then also the past performance of those areas because, you know, we'll use the eastern suburbs again, like the Bondi Beach as an example. If, you know, a Bondi Beach has a pretty good track record over the last 20 years, then the next 20, it's a pretty good indicator it's going to be very similar, right? Most definitely, yes. And 
I think where a lot of people go wrong when they're when they're looking for investments, especially when people just get started, they're always looking for the next hotspot. It's where where can I buy, get my twenty percent capital growth, and I can leverage and buy again and buy again, and they they feel like it's going to be a uh, just a linear path where they can just keep on finding these hotspots. But um, as you and I both know, very rarely does it work out like That's that. That's right, right. Yes. You know. Yeah, what were you, you going to say something? Yeah, so you're exactly right. And I think, you know, it's uh, property, it's, there's, there is a, a higher cost to, you know, barrier to entry, if you like, in regards to the cost of the property itself is not a small investment. You know, you can go out and buy $1,000 worth of CBA shares or ANZ shares. You can't just go out and buy 1000 bucks worth of property. Unless you buy BrickX or something like <laughs> yes, that. Yes, yes. Um, and, um, and, so and you can't buy it, you know, today and, and sell it next week um so you know it is definitely a long-term play you know you've got stamp duty there and then if you if you sell it you know within 12 months anyway you're going to get hit with the full freight of, of capital gains tax assuming it is an investment property so look it's definitely a long-term play i think where people uh you know where people go wrong where they said oh i bought a property and then i sold it and i didn't make money and it's like well how, how could you not one i think they get too impatient you know, people buy a property and they might have held it for three or four years and they go, well, it hasn't moved. I'm going to, it's a dud. I'm going to get out of it. And it might not be a dud. It might just be that we're in a flat period, um, you know, in, in the market. Um, you know, I, I always say about, about Sydney, I'm not sure if I mentioned it earlier, Jack, where, you know, Sydney does nothing, you know, we call nothing for six to seven years in, in that period it can have zero to three percent growth you know in some years a bit more but it also maybe one or two years where it goes into negative growth negative two percent negative three negative five percent and people start to panic the media gets on board saying it's a, it's a bust the property market's about to collapse and obviously you know 100 years of history shows that it it doesn't and it hasn't um and i think that people then panic they get impatient and they sell and they sell and, and they sell out at a loss, and then they go, "That's it. I've been burned. I'm never touching property again." It is a long-term play, you know. If you're not looking at holding property for a minimum 15 years, then I should I'll, I'd say don't buy it. Yeah. Don't buy one. Um, you know, 15, 20 years minimum, um, and with the end goal of, of ideally not to not to sell at all. Exactly. Utilize that equity and go again and, and keep going, and then maybe at the end. You, in your consolidation stage of, of investing, this is, where you might sell one or two, pay off the debt of all, however many you've got, and then live off that, you know, that debt-free rental income, that passive income, yeah. Exactly. But definitely not a short-term play, no. And it makes it easier to have that long-term perspective and be confident in the decision that you've made if you do enough research and get the right advice prior to buying, right? But I think where, where, where people have those thoughts around well, I've made the wrong decision, I bought a dud property, the marketplace doesn't do anything, is, is when they make an irrational decision. They of hear it off their accountant or they hear it off a friend at a barbecue and they go, yeah, I'm gonna go buy that property. And mate, we hear it all the time. Um, and they weren't 100% confident in the get-go. They didn't have the research and the data, the advice before they made the decision. They then make the decision, they go in, they buy it, it's all very exciting. They get three or four years down the track, mm. you know, it's probably eaten into their cash flow every single week and they look at their their property and they go well they haven't really made any money they've done nothing so let's just cut our losses and and you know go our separate ways um but they they don't really have a concept on whether it is going to grow whether it's not going to grow that's and, right and you know they and they say you know if you've bought it in a good location and a, and a and a good property in a good location 
that that time heals all wounds in property you might have bought right at the at the top of the market and then you know two years later your, your property is down five or five or ten percent mm. um you know i think it was you know a few years ago ride the suburb of ride you know i was reading some reports and they said ride is down 20 percent and i look back and i said yeah but it's just gone up 70 percent in the last you know three or four years i said so it's gone up 70 percent in four years now it's down 20 it's it's still up 50 percent i said i'll take that any day of the week now if you have if you had bought just before that dip and you suddenly your house is down 20 percent you know some people would panic but you've got to ride through that fear i suppose and you know now now rides up you know going to be hitting double digits this year again so it is definitely long term you can't you can't look at your property value um, every day, um, there isn't. The, there's not a valuation around there anyway. It's yeah. not moving as quickly as a share does. So you just have to be patient, and you have to go into it knowing this is a long-term play. I will probably never sell this property, or if I do, it's going to be in ten to fifteen to twenty years' time. Exactly, and that's the thing. You know, you can't value your property on a daily basis. No. And ride may have been down twenty percent off the median, but that's if right. you don't need to sell, you don't feel that loss anyway. That's so, right. Um, yeah, long-term perspective. So I think that is, is a really good base from, from where we can work from. Obviously, we've got the three fundamentals, location selection, property or asset selection, and then obviously having that long-term approach when you're, you're looking at both of those things. Um, and I think for the next episode, we'll, we'll really dig into that market and that location selection to to give people an understanding on how we do analyze marketplaces, what are the key drivers and fundamentals that we look for, um, you know, majority of the areas that we buy in are very blue chip. They're very blue lip ribbon. They, they have a lot of scarcity to them. Um, you know, you've obviously got the local economy, the employment, um, socioeconomics. Like there's so much to go, what goes into it. And it obviously sounds very difficult, but in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's um, you know, I believe it's not very hard to find an area that's done 20 or 30 years of really no, good. There's, there's plenty of it. Proven um, track record and, 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 you know, just enjoy the fruits of that over time so mate uh let's 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 see everyone back here next week for episode two yeah i think um you know in summary you know how we started off we started at the high level of those three key fundamentals location selection property selection long-term perspective once you've got those in in place you can then start getting down into the the more minute data and with that more analysis um, comes along but yeah looking forward to the uh to the next episode good stuff